Hello, and welcome to the Writers of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. We're here at Salt Lake City Fanex with one of our Writers of the Future judges and one of my favorite authors. Uh, you did Mythology 101. I love that story. It was so much fun. Jody Lynn I. Welcome, Jody. Thank you very much. So, um, as this is the Writers of the Future podcast, uh, first of all, tell me a little bit about your how you heard about Writers of the Future originally, and then a little bit about how, our story of how we finally solidified the deal back in DragonCon a few years ago. <laughs> I had heard about the contest, but I had already been writing professionally. I don't, I don't know if I had connected that uh, I could have been submitting while I was waiting for my uh, contract to come through, but I was probably never eligible for the contest. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's okay, but I, I had been hearing friends who had gone into it, Katie Wentworth, Eric Flint, and how they had been entering, and in case of, say, Kevin Anderson, entering and entering and entering. So I was aware of it peripherally. Right. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until just a few years ago that when, I think that you had been wanting me to be a judge for some time, but it finally worked out a couple of years yes. ago. So You and Bill walked to the booth and said, okay, right. so let's talk. We, we, said, we, we said, let's talk. I yeah. want to hear more about this. What, where, what do you need me to do? What, what is it that interests it entails, you about yeah. me? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'd known of you because of Anne, Anne McCaffrey. She was a judge since year two. And she was a, obviously a dear friend for you. It was a dear friend for myself. And we, uh, we bonded immediately because I love cinnamon. That was her favorite spice. And she loved every time she came come to Los Angeles, I'd buy a whole array of root beers because that was her favorite drink. She loved root beer. Yes, so, absolutely. Uh, even when she inscribed her book to me on the ship that sang, which is my favorite McCaffrey story, um, she wrote in, thank you very much for all the hires for all those years. <laughs> <laughs> but um, We used to bring things into Ireland for her that she missed from home, like uh, yeah. hickory smoked bacon and so on. Things that uh, just don't exist in Ireland. She she made her she made herself at home there, but they're they're, they're the comforts of, of back back yeah. west. Yes. So, um, from your expertise and as uh, both a short story and as a as a novelist, um, and this is the the main audience that we have here are aspiring writers or those that are ready to make their next step up as you know having done a, written a few stories. Um, we're all about advice and stuff, so. Anything in particular you have to say? We just finished one panel, but anything you find that is a common question that's asked to you of aspiring writers? Well, most of it is, how do I get published? And one of the things <laughs> is, finish what you're writing. So many people, so very many people, have unfinished works sitting on their computers or in their notebooks or in their heads. Yeah. And you cannot be considered to have anything purchased until you actually finish it. That may be a matter of confidence. And I want everybody to understand that we all have the same problems with confidence. If you need to do it in private, if you need to write in a closet or, or in the deep woods in order to, that no one is looking over your shoulder, yeah. then, then do it. Write where you can be, feel comfortable. If you feel that you absolutely need permission to go ahead and write, I give you permission. <laughs> I want you to write. I want you to write these short stories, these novels, and submit them. Because as a published writer, I still am an avid reader, and I want to read right. good works. If you're not confident that your first thing is any good, that's all right. Write another thing. 
David Gerald likes to say that the first million words don't count. So you get rejected, it's in the first million words. It doesn't count. It's got nothing to do with what your career is going to be later on. Get those words under your belt. They say that it takes 10,000 hours of uh, actively doing a craft to achieve mastery. That may or may not be true, but consider it as your practice. Uh -huh. It's your 10,000 hours of mastery. So yeah. if you are, have written for 10,000 hours, you should be much better than you were when you started. And everybody is. Yeah. Yeah, the main thing is a writer writes. A writer writes. A writer can, has yeah. to write. I had, a, I had a cousin who called me up one day and said, I'm tired of being an attorney. I think I'd like to be a writer instead. I said, okay. And he said, how much do you get per book? I said, wrong question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We write because we have to. We have stories kicking us out of bed in the middle of the night. We have stories interrupt us when we're doing something really important. It should not be, do you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? Wait a minute, I've got this idea. I've got to get it down on paper. Anyone got a pen? Yeah. But it can, it can be that profound. That yeah. can be that compelling. And if it's that compelling to you, it will be that compelling to the reader. So um, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm, I'm fascinated with the, your um, having partnered so much with, with Anne McCaffrey. What was it like working with her? Fantastic. She was so generous. She was so encouraging. Mm -hmm. And she did this with, with a number of people. I was the first junior author that she worked with. And... She had promised that while Judy Lynn Del Rey lived, she would never work for any other publisher. But my husband, Bill Fawcett, at the time, just my fiance, had this project with Tor Books that he was licensing known worlds to write Choose Your Own Adventures with. And he wanted Pern very badly. So I had to convince him that I was the right person to do this and to explain to her how Choose Your Own Adventures worked. And when I was finished with it, I'm a very good mimic. It sounded enough like Anne that Beth Meacham, who was the editor on the project, thought that Anne had, in fact, gone over my work for her, for me. <laughs> and that was at the same time a compliment and maybe not a compliment. Yeah. But working with Anne was great because if she was so confident in her own career that if she liked an idea of mine better than an idea of hers, we would use it. Right. And if she said something, that went. I yeah. had no problem with that whatsoever because I was getting the best on-the-job training you could possibly get anywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. For a writer, it was a boost. Uh-huh. Uh, it made me more visible. But also, I got to meet all of the people that Anne knew. She introduced me to many people. If, she, if you wrote a book and it came out and she read it and liked it, she would tell the world. But Absolutely. she would also be on your case all the time saying, when's, when's the, next the next one? Book? Yeah, when is the next one coming? <laughs> I want it. Please get it to me. Why are you doing this other thing first? I want this series. Yes. Uh, and she would do that with everybody. She sort of adopted quite a number of us. Uh, when, I, when I was doing the Dragon Lover's Guide to Pern, and, be, and actually when I was doing the Choose Your Own Adventures, Dragon Harper and Dragon Fire, she would say, there are people who are going to be very upset that you're writing official Pern fiction because, of course, naturally, I must incorporate these things into my world since you're writing them. So you can tell them, oh, that Anne McCaffrey, she's the worst person in the world. She's so hard to work with. I'll never work with her again. Or you can tell them you're my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am Heimdall. I have nine mothers. Anne is one of them. <laughs> and she, uh, she was generous in that way with, with many other people. So yeah. I have a lot of writer sisters and writer brothers that Anne adopted, uh, people that she sort of took into her, her 
all-purpose household that she would water the stew to feed. Uh, yeah. and, a, and a lot of up-and-coming writers who are now extremely established, and you would never think of them have, have, having been junior writers at one time, sat down at Anne's table when they were broke, and she would feed them, and she would talk to them about writing. Yeah. That, yeah, she was a lovely, lovely lady. Now, segue now to you and your career. Right. You run the, the writer's track, or is the writer's, yeah, that, the workshop you uh, at, at DragonCon? I run the two-day writer's workshop. It is not affiliated with the writer's track, okay. which is run by Nancy Knight. I am in, I, independent of that. And it is two days long. It begins on Thursday morning at 9 a.m., and we run till 5 or 6, depending. Uh, and then the next day, Friday... Nine, uh -huh. to, 9 to 5 or 9 till 6, depending. I have guest speakers come in to talk to the writers about their specific ta uh, talents. I had Kevin Grazier, who is the science advisor on a lot of movies and television, especially things like Eureka and Battlestar Galactica. Uh -huh. But it gives my students a chance to talk to industry pros in a very small environment and ask the questions that they've been dying to ask. Tony Weisskopf has very kindly lent her countenance to my class many, many times. Yeah. I uh, also had Sherilyn Kenyon this year for the first time. I tend to bring in at least one best-selling writer uh -huh. who is able to talk about their career, one agent or editor as I can, and I mix it up. Right. But the whole point is I am also working with a manuscript that they have submitted, two to 7,000 words, either a whole short story or a portion of a novel with the synopsis. And I talk to them about structure. I talk to them about what does or doesn't work and the little ticks that they need to clean up before they're ready to send it to a regular editor. I also test them on that by saying, submit it to me as if you were sending it to an editor. And I will read it all the way through, but professional editors, if they, if they find flaws in it, will not. They will stop. Right. But I will read it all the way through. That's, so it's uh, it's it's that's good quite for a them. bonus for them to have that. Yes, it is. That is that, like I said, in the real world, it doesn't happen. No. So, um, why was it that that you became a judge, and what do you like about being a judge for Writers of the Future contest? I'm with Kevin Anderson on the seminar. is fabulous. Uh, I participate in it. I give my own talks. Right, right. But to listen to all the other people who are coming in to to give their expertise. David Farland, Tim Powers, Nettie Okorafor, Kevin Anderson, Rebecca Mesta, Larry Niven, mm -hmm. Mike Resnick, Eric Flint, all of these people, uh, many of whom are very good friends of mine. Uh, some of them were very good friends before we started. Some of them have become very good yeah. friends. We are happy to be together. Mm -hmm. We're happy to participate in this because, again, we have been given to. We are giving back. We are right. paying forward to the new writers who are coming on the scene. Also, I love teaching. I, I find that I, but I don't want to commit to college teaching because I have done that and I don't get any of my own work done. Right. So this, this allows me to, to scratch the itch along with the Writer's Workshop at DragonCon without having to deal with the joys of academia. Good, good. So the, um, we've had a lot of winners that have gone on now to major careers oh, as, yes. as a writer. Such as Eric Flint, for example. Right. Uh, Katie Wentworth of, of yeah, honored and memory. And it is, it is a great stopping, uh, starting off point. The seminar alone would give people a boost. Mm -hmm. But also the encouragement that they get from their fellow students of the time and the judges who are welcoming them into the company of right. published writers. This is something that 
they probably don't think matters. And there, there's quite a lot of, of starstruck yeah. character about th that, that uh, suddenly you're sitting at a table with Orson Scott Card and Larry Niven and Nettie Okrafors across the table from you and, and they're talking to you. Yeah. It, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. But so is the seminar itself. All of these classes, they will go away and they will begin to absorb it over time. It's mm -hmm. almost impossible to take in everything that happens over that week all at once. Yeah. Some of it they may never use. Some of it will be meaningful to them right away. Now, one thing that the last day when the, so the big gala event's over with, and the next day we have our how to deal with media and how to stuff like that. You are instrumental in that. You, you, you come in there, you're... You're crocheting away and then... <laughs> knitting. Knitting, <laughs> yes. okay, knitting away. I've got my knitting in here. <laughs> you got needles and you got That's right. yarn. You know, the, the day after we do the whole PR drill on how to do radio, TV, print, mm -hmm. um, the bookstore events, as well as your elevator pitch. Oh, and you're, you're very instrumental in that. So tell me about that in terms of an aspect of the workshop and what winners get. And this is also something that they need to hit the ground running on and they may not absorb this because it's alien to what they've been doing so far. Up until then, up until they are winners, up until the gala, they are unpublished writers because the book comes out that evening. Right. But suddenly they have to take on the next part of their career, which is now they've written it, they have to go ahead and promote it. So it's incredibly important that the Writers of the Future program helps them to understand what to do when they're faced with a reporter who wants to find out what they've done. An elevator pitch is a way of, of expressing in the fewest possible words what their story comprises. This year we had one fellow that just could not pin down what he wanted to talk about on his story. And that's a flaw because the disc jockey interviewer speaker on the radio is not going to mine through that they need to have things presented to them. Right. So you need to come in with a prepared pitch of some kind. You need to be comfortable saying it mm -hmm. and, uh, and not being apologetic about it. We had a few, uh, a couple of young ladies who are extremely shy and they need to be able to say their piece with confidence mm -hmm. so that the reporter has something to jump off from. Absolutely. And that gives me to one of the point, like you got traditional publishing and then you got 2019 publishing. The importance of having your own presence on social, being able to deal with media, being able to promote yourself. Whereas right. soon as say, well, I just want the publisher to do it. I just want to write my stories. Just comment on that mentality. Publishers aren't going to let you do that anymore. They, they want you to be able to be a presence online. We're a cult of personality now. It is good for you to have a small presence. If you're very shy, mm -hmm. then can you write an essay? Can you promote somebody else's piece? If you have a, a presence on social media, I would say don't start flame wars with other people. Don't diss somebody uh, and never punch down. Don't attack somebody who is in, not in a position to fight back. Right. Just be a nice person. Uh, you don't have to be a bland person. You can have a lot of things about you that are interesting. Mm -hmm. But once you start attacking, you're going to lose half your audience right there. Yeah. You want to keep everybody 
in a positive frame of mind so that they'll look at your work. Yeah. In the end, if you want to promote your book, uh, then the book should be uppermost. But also never, never consider the people who are reading you on social media as if they are open wallets. So of every 10 posts you put up, only one of them should be, hey, I've written a story and here it is. The other nine should be about something else. Right. Uh, my sister-in-law just had twins. Here's a picture of my cat. Here's a book that you would enjoy that I just finished reading. Uh, I'm, in, I'm researching this topic and it's really interesting. Does anybody else know anything about hand looms of the 16th century? Mm -hmm. Engage with people. Right. Find out what they're interested in. If it's something that you also are interested in, you'll find a common mind. Now, one thing about, yeah, about the, the internet, you've got the, uh, the trolls. So what do you recommend on how to deal with trolls? Because you can be as nice as you want to be, but you're going to have some jerk that's going to come up and just dump on you just because they think that's cool. Don't engage with trolls, please. Don't, don't expend the energy, but also anytime you feed the trolls by trying to respond to them, trying to reason with them. They are not in a mood to be reasoned with. That's not why they're on. Right. Walk away. They can't come after you physically because it's, it's social media. Don't attack them and don't post anything about them elsewhere because that adds to the controversy. Yeah. Don't, don't participate in that. You're there to do your thing. You're there to interact with the people that you like and the people that you hope will like you. Yeah. On Facebook, you can also put certain words that will automatically hide a post. So if there's certain words that are just antagonistic and the troll type words that you might find, then if you put those in there as, as, as uh, prohibited words, Facebook will automatically hide that post. So only them and their friends will see their post. And that's one thing that, that I will do on, because I do all the, the uh, social media for Galaxy Press, for Writers of Future, for L. Ron Hubbard. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get, most of the stuff is awesome. There's, you got your few people that just come in no matter what, they just got to say something, you know, that's just, um, they're losers. You can also have two pages. You can have your personal page, which yeah. should be friends locked. Yeah. Even, even smaller than that, a smaller group if you need to, and a fan page, which is for your writing. Right. Good. If you keep your personal page friends locked, you're not going to get the trolls on that right? because they can't see it. And make sure that you close it all the way down to friends only. Yeah, not, not friends, friends of friends. friends. Right. right, and not acquaintances, just right. friends. Right. That will protect you to a certain extent. There are always people who can find their way in. There are hackers, there are yeah. spoofers. But you can protect yourself to the best of your ability. Right. Your fan page, Close, uh, close comments to moderated only. Yep. So that you can delete ugly ones. Uh, there, there was a game that I was playing that had an open page and they made the mistake of not moderating their comments and they were getting pornographic images. So fortunately, one of their fans took over the job of actually moderating the, pa the page for them and she took care of all of that before it appeared. Yeah. If you do not have the time to do it, to have a, a brother, a cousin, a nephew, a teenager that can do it for you, if it bothers you uh, and, and the fact that somebody has made a hurtful comment really stresses you out, close comments on the page. Yeah. 
That's fine. Yeah. That is absolutely fine. You can promote whatever you want on that. Yeah. And don't spam other pros and say, like my page, like my page, like my page. You can suggest it. Yeah. Don't hammer it. One time. Yeah. Good. All right. So this is bigger because I haven't really talked to anybody about social media. And I know that's your bailiwick is you're really good with that. I, I could be better. Well, you can always be better, but you've got, a, you've got a good sense about it, which is which I was really happy to be able to talk to you about this. So if someone was to find out more about you, how do they find you? I am on Facebook, uh, not much the last month and a half. Heaven <laughs> knows that <laughs> DragonCon yes. alone drowned yeah. me. Jody Lynn Nye on Facebook, also at Jody Lynn Nye, all, all kind of jammed together in one word on Twitter, although I tweet rarely. I have a website, jodylynnye.com or jodynye.net. It's easier to get to. And uh, see me at conventions. Come, I, I post a list of my appearances on my, on my website. So stop by and talk. Good. And if a person's not familiar with you, what, do you have a book that you'd recommend uh, as a starter? A Jody Lynn Nye Primer? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what you like. If you want uh, humorous contemporary fantasy, something that takes place in this world so that you don't have to learn an entirely new world. Mythology 101 is a great start yeah. because it's about a college student in the, somewhere in the Midwest yep. who discovers there are little people living in the basement of his college library. Or if you like science fiction and if you're a fan of Anne McCaffrey or uh, many other uh, writers, my medical science fiction, Taylor's Ark, is the first of the three books that exist right now. There, there have been two in the offing for, for years. But... I'm very fond of my uh, latest series, which is uh, the Imperium series, Lord Thomas Canago books. It's sort of Jeeves and Wooster in space, if you like P.G. Woodhouse. Okay. And the first one is View from the Imperium, Fortunes of the Imperium, and Rhythm of the Imperium. Awesome. Thank you very much. And thank, thank you. you very much for listening to this podcast. This is the Rise of Future podcast. It's available on almost anywhere you want to listen to a podcast. Rise of the Future was a contest created originally in 1983 by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer, five years later also for the aspiring artist, for their works to be seen and acknowledged. It has since become the largest competition of its kind in the world, with entries from over 175 countries. And you've just been listening to one of its esteemed judges, Jody Lanai. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to future episodes. Bye.